Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, a 20th century woman looks back on a rich and complicated life. So what did it feel like to be out on your own and totally supporting yourself? Liberating, liberating. And I had the teaching job and I loved it. And I loved it every day more and I never expected to. But she began her first job as a teenager in 1941. Decades of experience coming up. Mary Lou is 94 years old. She's an old friend of my husband's family. And when I talked to her about her life several months ago, she and her partner were staying with us for the weekend. She didn't want to use her last name in the podcast. I've said this before, but I love talking to older women, actually anyone older. But for the purposes of this show, I've always wanted to get more perspectives from women in their 80s and 90s. Mary Lou was born in 1925 into a middle-class family on the eastern end of Long Island, New York. The ocean was about two miles away from the house. My dad and mother got married when they were both very, very young, and he and his brother were in the mason contracting business. And his brother soon moved away, and my father took over the mason contractor. He was an excellent bricklayer, but he was a very poor businessman. She says her father lost his business after the Wall Street crash of 1929, and things were very lean for a few years. He also drank a lot. She remembers before she was even a teenager, she used to go into bars to pull him out and bring him home. She says her parents had a rocky relationship. From the time I was 11 or 12, I'd say, let's get divorced, for God's sake, let's get divorced. My mother never would do it. He loves me. What good is that? But I also learned at that time that not, nobody was going to take care of me, really. My grandmother I could rely on, but I didn't expect her to support me. But I knew that my parents weren't going to, going to do it. And so I became very independent and very selfish, actually. At the age of 15, she landed a summer job. But it wasn't the typical job a teenager might get in a resort town, working at the movie theater, in a restaurant, or at the beach. I worked uh, five and sometimes six days a week in the telephone company as a telephone operator. What and was that like? That was so much fun. I loved it. Uh, one other woman and I were trained that year. She stayed on for something like 40 years. And, of course, I used it as uh, money for college. However, I liked the job so much, and it was clean, and it was uh, easy to do. And she kept doing it during summer vacations for years. 
If you've seen the marvellous Mrs. Maisel, you'll remember Midge Maisel working in the basement of that department store as an operator. Similarly, Mary Lou says she had a strict manager. If this lady thought Mary Lou had made any kind of mistake, her heels would click swiftly across the floor and she'd berate Mary Lou then and there. But as she says, she loved the job. It gave her her first real sense of independence. The money was good. My parents didn't pay a cent of my tuition. I put myself through school totally. She went to college on Long Island, Adelphi University. During that time, and this was in World War II, she worked as a babysitter for a local family. After college, she started training as a social worker. It was one of relatively few professions open to women in the mid-1940s. Mary Lou remembers her first job in a town north of New York City on the Hudson River. And I got a job for $90 a month. That was it. Okay. 90 bucks a month for the, in a school for neglected and dependent children. And uh, it was sort of an adjunct to being to getting some training in social work. They gave me one child, and they supervised me. And my kid, I remember, the child was only about eight. And he was there because he had pushed his brother out of a tenement window, and the kid had died. It was pretty heavy. During this time, she was also going to graduate school for social work, commuting back and forth between school and her job. And she had a boyfriend situation to resolve. I had been going with a boy for six years Two years in, two years in high school and four years in college, and we were going to, we were planning on marriage, but it never, we never finalized any of it to the point of where or when, and then I had met my third cousin, and uh, he had come to visit my grandmother, so I got engaged to two of them. I was engaged to two boys for about a year. Couldn't make up my mind. And they did not know about the other one, presumably. Oh, they knew about the other one. They knew how I was agonizing over which one to choose to the point that one time I remember having them meet each other. I thought if I saw them together, maybe I'd make up my mind. Ultimately, as one of the boys predicted, she ended up with neither of them. But she did begin to have adventures of the kind that would mark the rest of her life. Her uncle gave her a gift of money. And instead of spending it on a washing machine, as a female relative suggested, she took off to Mexico. <laughs> I stayed there for six months. That was quite an experience. She stayed with a friend who was living there with her husband. She says she rode horses, hung out with cowboys, and generally lived it up. But eventually, she ended up back in her hometown on Long Island and worked at the telephone company again. That's when she got the idea to go to New York City and become a dancer with Arthur Murray, who had a famous ballroom dancing school. I mean, I can, I have some rhythm, but nothing like what would have been required. But that's, that's what I was going to do. I wanted to live in New York. I was going to live in a woman's hotel in New York. My father didn't like that idea. He said, you've gone to college for four years and you should go into social work. And I said, you haven't paid a cent for my education. So you don't have any say in this, Oat. I called him by his first name. I was rather disrespectful to him. But in fact, her father won the argument, and she did end up going back to social work. She was in her mid-twenties now. So, but at the time, though, were you thinking, 
I'll always work during my life or were you expecting to marry and I expected I expected to get married my my friends from college were all getting married yes the push was that you had to get married and now I and you know I've thought about it a lot because at the time I guess I had fleeting ideas in fact when I was going to graduate school in New York when I Columbia I started taking law courses because I had a teacher who was, who had been in the National Labor Relations Board during the war, and he was fascinating. But it never occurred to me to stop and become a lawyer. It never occurred to me. So few women were lawyers at the time, she had no role models. But marriage and motherhood were very much in vogue, especially now the Second World War was over and all the men were home and wanting to settle down. In the late 1940s, Mary Lou went upstate to visit her brother, who was studying to be an engineer. He introduced me to my to-be husband, who, it was a real adjustment for me. He was a Roman Catholic, but he he seemed to be a very good person. In case you're wondering about that but, at the time, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants like Mary Lou almost never married Catholics, it simply wasn't done. As a teenager, Mary Lou had played tennis one summer with a Catholic boy a few years older. My grandmother got very upset about it and said, the time to start going with a Catholic is never. When Mary Lou got engaged to her future husband, her grandmother announced she would not attend the wedding. Mary Lou says she died a few months beforehand to avoid the whole thing. And I married him because... I wasn't madly in love with him, I, if, you know, if you say love. I found love at the age of 85. More on that in a bit. But I figured I was going to have a good marriage and a good life, and I saw he had possibilities. He was graduating from an engineering course. I thought he was more ambition than he, ambitious than he was. I mean, I didn't expect him to be the head of the Hamilton Standard. Uh, propeller, but he was a good worker, and he was a good man, and he was a very good father. (laughs) But I had joined the Catholic Church when I got married in 1950, and I didn't use birth control, and I had children. I had seven pregnancies in, in 14 years, and that... And six kids who lived, Six living children, one, one miscarriage. After Mary Lou and her husband married, they settled in central Connecticut. It was a conservative time. Women had flooded into the workforce during the war. Now the men were home and working again, and if you were a middle-class wife, you stayed at home and tended to the children and the house. And we moved into a new house within a year after our marriage. So we was settling into this house and having a garden and doing canning raising children and blah, blah, blah. But I joined the League of Women Voters, and it was political, and I loved it. We used to go to police court, all the Board of Education meetings, the town council, Board of Appeals, zoning commission. I mean, it never occurred to me to run for anything. Mary Lou needed an outlet. She had an active, inquisitive mind. She was restless at home. I would get very bored, and uh, as I say, the League saved my life. 
I think I probably would have gone nuts if I hadn't had the league to do some thinking about. My husband was not political. A good man, but, you know, he didn't much care for worrying about the state of the world or anything like that. He was intelligent. I helped him get his master's, and we had a lot of fun doing that. But he wouldn't go on and get his Ph.D. He could have had education paid for by his company, and I couldn't figure that one out, why he wouldn't want to do that. And it didn't occur to me to go to school at that time, mostly because I guess I was pretty tired. For one thing, I breastfed all my kids. For at least a year, I'd read that breastfeeding helped you from not getting pregnant, which it did for the first year at least. Then when I gave it up, then I'd get pregnant again. During her fourth pregnancy, Mary Lou says she got quite sick, and her subsequent pregnancies were very uncomfortable. I knew about contraception, of course, but I had made a decision to become a Roman Catholic, and I thought the least I could do was keep that vow. But after her last child was born, she felt desperate. She says she went to her doctor's office. I walked into his place and I said, I've had it. He said, I never thought you'd ask. He suggested sterilization. Ultimately, she did get sterilized. She says her husband wasn't pleased about it. He thought it was wrong. But she felt free. And that freedom opened up other opportunities. Around this time, when her final son was still a baby, she met someone at a friend's party, a guy named Stan. And this man said to me, this was when my son was uh, nine months old. He said, what do you do? And I said, tomorrow I'm going to do peaches and the next day I'm going to do applesauce. He said, what? I said, well, I've got six children. He said, you don't have a job, a part-time job or anything? He was a teacher and a graduate. Uh, he taught also in night school. And I didn't have a part. He was also Afro-American. And I didn't have a part-time job. No, I didn't. It had never occurred to me to go. I had too much work to do at home. You do peaches? And I thought about it. I went home and thought about it. I thought, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Because he said, why don't you become a teacher? And I said, how can I do that? He said, you go to school part-time. But is this because he'd spoken to you and he'd got a sense of your intellectual bent? And Yeah, I guess so. Actually, he said later he really liked my tale. You're going to have to edit this one. But that's what he said. I I couldn't find my shoes, and I was looking underneath the sofa. But that's, he just couldn't believe that I hadn't figured that one out. And he kept after me, and I said to my husband that fall, I think I'm going to go back to school. Oh, you've got too much work to do, you know. How can you do that? He was very un. Uh, un- he did not want me to go to school. And then Stan would call me up and say, aren't you going back to school? In a minute, Mary Lou puts her newfound freedom to the test. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. For several months, Mary Lou dithered about whether to return to school. Her husband was not into the idea of her studying to become a teacher, but eventually she decided she was going to do it. But the first time she went to register, she couldn't go through with it. She was so nervous, she fled the line and went back home. The following day, she returned, and this time she signed up. Her husband wasn't thrilled, but he did agree to take care of the kids while she went to school at night. But I came home one night. It was one of the first classes that I'd really gotten excited about. And I came in, and it was probably around 9.30 at night, and I said, oh, guess what I learned tonight, or something. And he said, "Uh, be quiet. And I looked at the television, and he said, can't you see I'm watching television? And I looked, and there was a commercial. I was so pissed. I said, that's it. She began to think about a separation then. I had never wanted to get divorced. I uh, always wanted to make it work. I thought it could be made to work. I thought I could find other diversions that would keep me busy. It was a few more years before Mary Lou and her husband actually got divorced. And remember, Mary Lou was the one who wanted the split, but she was also the partner who wasn't earning any money. Or at least by the time they split up, she was earning some money as a substitute teacher, but nothing that could support her and six kids. Meanwhile, though, she'd begun a relationship with Stan, the man who'd encouraged her to go back to school in the first place. Things were getting complicated. It was just a pipe dream that I would be leaving him to find another man to live with who helped me raise my children because Stan, the man, was a very ambitious person and it was his second marriage. He only had one child that he was caring for. He'd left the first one right after she'd been born and there was no way this guy was going to get married and at the time in the 70s, he would be jeopardizing his his professionalism because uh, mixed couples just were not not operating much at that time. So she had to make a decision about her family. It was 1971. I gave it the old college try to think that I could support them and be divorced. That was one of the things. He didn't want to get divorced. He offered me the job as his housekeeper. No, I wasn't going to do that. Meaning meaning we have a sham marriage, but it exactly. looks like we're married. Exactly. Exactly. And uh and at that point I just wanted out. I just wanted to I guess I just wanted to grow up. So we got divorced. And she gave him chief custody of the children. For the next couple of years she'd see them mostly during school vacations. The eldest was about eighteen, the youngest was six. Mary Lou went to Baltimore and lived with her brother, but Baltimore was where Stan was, too. Through him, she got a job teaching adults. 
and I loved it. I loved teaching the adults, mostly Vietnam vets and women who were in their 40s and 50s working three jobs. And um, I learned a lot from them, mostly black, mostly very poor, and the, the GIs were stoned. I mean, you know, it was a very turbulent time. But she felt she was thriving in the chaos. The aftermath of her marriage must have been traumatic for her children. But for her, the 70s were a time of personal growth, bursting out after feeling confined for so long, finding herself and finding she enjoyed her job. After I got my graduate degree in education, I got a graduate degree in social studies, and I was teaching social studies in Baltimore. In fact, I was the first black teacher in the adult education program in Baltimore. You were the first black teacher or the first white teacher? White teacher teaching black history. Excuse me. First white teacher teaching. And the only reason I got the job, I had had one course at Central Connecticut in black history, and that certified me. Because at the time it was required, I mean, that they, that the blacks were, they were trying to open up the teaching system to everybody. But I had the one course. So I had the paper. And the black women who were certified, who were able to teach that history. And here I am, a white northern woman teaching black history to veterans when they came home. I mean, I think that was an insult. But I worked very hard at it, and I did a good job at it. And so uh, that that was the best job I ever had, teaching the, the adults and the veterans. After two years, she found a job was open to her back in Connecticut. Her relationship with Stan had faltered, so she said goodbye to him and headed home. She was near her kids again, but she didn't push to see them all the time, She was now working in the local school system, and she says she'd keep tabs on her kids by checking the register every day to see if they were all in school or if any of them were out sick. She says her ex-husband made clear to her that he was in charge now. And it was a moral situation, too. You know, I'd been so bad. Morally, I'd been so... I'd done everything wrong, breaking the marriage and, and having an affair and so on. He saw black and white, and... The interesting thing about that was uh, when I left him, I said something like, he said, I'll never get married again. I said, sure you will, I said. And I said, about dating? I said, why don't you go with Joan? She was a friend of mine. And he said, I'll never go out with. Well, six months after I left, my oldest son said, daddy's going out with Joan. And I said, I knew it. And she had six children, but a dead husband, a couple of dead husbands. And she was going. She was going to the same church he went to, and then she called me when I was in Baltimore and said, "I'll never marry him, Lou." I said, "Be my guest," but I said, "Twelve kids, Joan. You better think twice." They didn't marry, but she says Joan and her former husband did stay together until the end of their lives. Mary Lou says, to his credit, her ex-husband didn't badmouth her to their children. She says she has a pretty good relationship with most of them today. She says she's proud of them, that they're all good citizens, kind and responsible. And I, my oldest daughter now and I are estranged. And I think that it's because she felt that I really gave her father short shift. 
and he's, she's probably right. But I think he was probably happier, much happier with Joan, even on a part-time basis, than uh, he'd have been with me. I used to make him nervous. Why? Well, we'd go to parties, and I'd get excited by people, and I'd act stupid. And he would always he'd criticize me. We'd come home, and he'd say, you did this and did that. I had no intention of doing this or that. <laughs> you know. Well, he expected to be married to somebody more conventional. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, in 1950, when he got married, it things had become very conventional again after the war when exactly. so many women went into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And you were on the backlash end of that, where women were expected to be at home full time, being perfect wives and mothers. The interesting thing about it, I had models. My friends in New York were working jobs and raising children, but they only had two, for instance. And Laura, my best friend, was working. She only had two. I think it was the quantity, not the quality of the whole thing. At this point, we switched venues. Mary Lou needed to get to the ferry to get home to Connecticut, but I wanted to keep talking, so I turned on the tape recorder again in the car. My husband is driving, and in the passenger seat is Al, Mary Lou's partner. I'm in the back seat with Mary Lou. So what did it feel like to be out on your own and totally supporting yourself? Liberating, liberating. And I had the teaching job, and I loved it. And I loved it every day more, and I never expected to. It's interesting. In eighth grade, the guidance teacher had said, you have three choices. You could be a nurse... You could be a teacher, or you could work in an office. I said, I don't want to do any of those. <laughs> he said, why did you become a social worker? So that's why I got hooked on the social work. But I love the teaching, because the feedback from the kids was exciting. It wasn't so in social work. Uh, you know, the social worker solves all the people's problems. But the kids in especially the junior high when I was teaching. And then when I had my own classroom at the high school, the kids were not only my salvation, they were my teachers. And uh, they they amused me. I never had a day that I didn't want to be in the classroom. She retired at 68, only because she was losing her eyesight then and she needed to drive to work. Hearing she was likely to go blind at some point, she got on a plane and went to Paris that summer. After her marriage, Mary Lou didn't have another long relationship for quite a while. She met people, but no one special. So just over a decade ago, she decided to try something new. And then I went on the internet. I didn't go on the internet immediately, but I think 12 years ago, 12 years ago, I went on the internet, and his, and I was only on about a year. I only dated two or three people. Nobody worked out, and I thought, oh, the heck with this. So I, I was just about to quit the whole thing, and Al's picture came up, and it was so, he was so attractive. He looked, oh, he, the, I love that picture. It was so theatrical. Her eyesight was poor, but good enough. She was still emailing back then. The picture was black and white. 
Al had his head cocked on one side. He was wearing a cap. And just, ah, he looked adorable. And then he was a good talker. And it turns out he was from the Midwest, for crying out loud. And at first when I talked to him, I had no idea he was Afro-American. That first conversation went well. They kept talking. And then she flew from Connecticut to Chicago to meet him for the first time. She says she was smitten from the start. At this point, I'm trying to pin down when exactly it was they met and how old everyone was. I know Al is about a decade younger than Mary Lou. And here I should say, Al really didn't want to be part of this conversation. He's a man of few words. Is it only nine? Didn't I meet him when I was 85? Do you remember Al? What? How old was she when you met? Mm. 84. (laughs) Okay, when you met her, give me something here, Al. What did you think when you first met her in person? Well, I'm not in your interview. You can can turn the interview off. Maybe we can talk. (laughs) He doesn't really like... He doesn't want to divulge any information about himself. He might someday be president and they might dig up some dirt. Al moved east to be with Mary Lou. And for the last year, they've lived in a retirement community. Mary Lou says she's still getting used to it after fending for herself for so long. And after a lifetime of adventure and of fierce independence. And it must be nice to, um, to be with somebody at this point in your life. It definitely is. De- and he's a snuggler. <laughs> That's really great. I love that. <laughs> and he eats anything. I mean, he's, he's, good to, he's easy to be with. As long as I do what he says. (laughs) Mary Lou turns 95 this month. She says one of her daughters is taking her and Al out to celebrate. That's the broad experience for this time. I will post a couple of photos of Mary Lou under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. If you have questions or comments, you can always reach me at ashley at thebroadexperience.com or on the show's Facebook page, or on Twitter. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And we have been together 24-7 for 10 years or 11. We don't know which. Maybe it's only nine. Who knows? (laughs) I don't know. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.